left-handed? Drake May threw a touchdown left-handed? His unbelievably special talent is a massive part of what makes UNC 4-0 for the first time since 1997. But he can't do it alone. Why else are the Tar Heels returning from Pennsylvania with another dub in their pocket? Let's unpack it. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Monday, September 25th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us to get your team every day. It's a great brand new week, Carolina's 4-0. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, listen, one of the best parts about uh, the way things are going is not just when you have to celebrate by yourself. Being able to celebrate is better when you can do it with people. And one of the ways we're trying to expand that here on the Locked on Tar Heels um group is we've formed a discord channel to help be able to have more conversations with the locked on community would love for you to come join us uh, just we just started this last week but it's a great way to connect with other people that are part of the locked on tar heels community so come on in the link is in the show notes whether you're watching or listening check it out all right as always in our game recaps we're going to have our three stars our three plays our shady stat of the game and of course we'll get to our weekend wrap up But first, some initial notes and the biggest takeaways from this game. North Carolina wins 41-24, to so close to the same score from last year, 42-24. It's a series that's had a lot of really close games, a whole bunch of single-digit margins either way. But twice in a row now, Carolina has won by double digits and actually closer to 20. Great stuff. The Heels move up to 15 in the AP poll. Maybe seems like they would move further, but... There's a lot of teams ahead of them playing really good football too. Some other teams that have been behind them that have had big wins. And so they're just hanging tight in those mid teens. But here's what's great, folks. Now you get a week off, you get to prep, and you got a three-week homestand coming up even after that open week. And so North Carolina doesn't leave Keenan for a month. Their next away game is at Georgia Tech on October 28th, literally over a month from now. This is great. So most importantly, I think this is a chance to heal up, get some guys healthy and say, all right, what's been working? What's not? What can we put in? What do we need to change schematically or any personnel wise, any of that stuff? So, for example, in Saturday's game, you had Willie Lampkin missing second game in a row. You had Gavin Blackwell out with what we expect is kind of concussion protocol suffered um, in the Minnesota game there. And then Elijah Green missed the game. So making that running back depth chart a little smaller, but good grief. You've seen everything you need to from Amarion Hampton and British Brooks. So you're feeling good there, but then all just those little nicks and cuts and bruises. Now they have time to heal. You've got everything in front of you that you want these three home games. And then you travel, as I said, to Georgia tech, where you've got to exercise some demons down there in Atlanta would love to come home from that Atlanta 
eight and zero obviously is the ideal, but you know, seven and one at worst, you feel like that's very attainable. So what I want to do, looking at some big picture takeaways, is follow up on my W two W four from Friday, my what to watch for, where I give you four things to watch in a game, as well as my three keys to victory that I post on Twitter ahead of the game. Now, several of those overlapped. And so we're actually just going to mix those three keys into the what to watch for. So let's follow each of those. The what to watch for number one was, how does Carolina handle the success? This is something Mac Brown has talked about so much, is that Carolina will have some success, and then it's like they can't get out of their own way. Make some silly penalties, don't come ready to go from the kick, struggle on the road, whatever it may be. So the answer to handle how they handled success in this game was successfully. <laughs> and I know that sounds simple, but it hasn't always been that simple. And so I'm really encouraged by that. Obviously, as you well know by this point, the Tar Heels are 4-0 for the first time since 1997. Mac Brown's last year in Mac Brown 1.0. But I, I think even more importantly than just being 4-0 is handling the pressure, showing that they can live up to those moments. Three of the four wins have been by double digits. That matches their total of double digit wins for all of 2022, right? So you're just seeing some signs that are encouraging. And I think this handling success successfully was even greater on Saturday because right out of the gate, it did not seem that way. You know, Pitt took that first drive, ran off essentially eight minutes of the first quarter, more than half of it, and, and had it easy. And so you started to feel like, ah, oh, this is typical. That letdown we're going to have first ACC game, first road game, going to take a loss and then regroup. So what that means to me is this wasn't just about handling success. This was about handling early adversity in the game that North Carolina responded to. Pitt scores, um, you know, a couple there, and it's looking like, hey, here we go. But then ultimately, after the Panthers scored on the first play of the second quarter, Carolina went on a 31-3 to run following that and then had the game in hand. This is what strong teams do. They take a blow from their opponent, they get up off the mat, and they respond. And Carolina did that and responded again and again and again. Also, not to mention that they did so in a road environment and in their first ACC game in not the most desirable of weather conditions either. And so I, I am encouraged by handling success successfully but it's just not one time doing that. Now you have to do it again and again and again. That's how you go as Mac Brown's been looking for from good to great. So next up, get this open week, figure out everything you need to do, and then you welcome undefeated Syracuse to Keenan, and you got to do the, uh, again, do it again and get to 5-0. and Number two in my what to watch for was basically the, the something's got to give moment of this game, which is the North Carolina offense averaging 494.3 yards per game against the Pittsburgh defense averaging only allowing 236 yards a game. And I got to say, this one to me was ultimately a push. Carolina had 373 total yards of offense in this game, though. However, while the yardage itself says push, when you look into it and dive a little deeper, I say the reason for this is because of Carolina basically shutting down the offense in the majority of the second half, and, and in particular the fourth quarter. Because after three quarters, Carolina had 363 yards of offense. That's all but 10 of what they had for the entire game. Had they kept churning, kept the whole playbook open, 
clearly Drake may and the Tar Heels get over 400 and probably up to at least 450 offensively in this game. And so while it's a push based on just looking at it, I, I think Carolina offense wins against the Pitt D in this one. And here's the other thing. I think it's a win because it also tells you Carolina didn't have to get in a shootout to need all that offensive yardage. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of the times, the, the reason Carolina gets up into close to 500 yards of total offense is because the defense isn't doing enough to allow the offense to not have to do as much. And that wasn't the case on Saturday night at Pittsburgh. This was about game script. And so ultimately, I give the win on this one to North Carolina. Success, UNCO over the pit D. Number three on the what to watch for. Winning third down. And this was one of the, the three keys to victory as well. Carolina came into this game second in the nation at third down offensive completion percentage, 65.1%, not completion percentage, excuse me, um, conversion. They were converting 65.1% of their third downs. Well, in this game, they were just 5 of 14, which is 35.7%, their lowest third down conversion rate of the year. Now, the good news is that Pitt wasn't much better. They were only 4 of 10 on third down. So neither team was really successful. But once again, to me, this was about game script. Through three quarters, Carolina was converting 50% of their third downs. Now, I'm not saying they would have jumped back up into that 65% range, but it was much better than the 35% they were at. And listen, some of that, you have to say offensive line, you got to block it up, run block better, so that Carolina can pick up those first downs, those game-shortening first downs on the ground. So that, that is a thing. Uh, so again, this was about game script, ultimately a wash, but Carolina's third down conversion rate was not as high as it has been. And then the fourth thing in the what to watch for was the Carolina defense, which one shows up the way I phrased it in my three keys to victory was wreak havoc in the Pittsburgh backfield. I wouldn't say that Carolina necessarily did that, but the defense as a whole did really well. Just look at it this way. After those first two drives, Man, as I mentioned earlier, it was starting to feel a lot like last year where Carolina was just getting gashed and was going to have to outscore their opponent to win. They gave up 153 yards on the first two pit drives. And you're looking at Phil Dracovic like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be terrible this year, but now all of a sudden you're awesome and completing all your passes. But here's the thing. So hear that number again, 153 yards of offense through two drives. The entire rest of the game, Pitt managed 154 more yards. So their yardage in the first two drives was half of their entire total offense for the game. Carolina D really, really stepped up at that point. So Pitt finishes 307 total yards of offense. This is the second straight week for Carolina holding the opposing offense under 310 total yards. Now that's not like world changingly good. But when you compare that with what the Carolina offense is going to be able to do game in and game out, that's more often than not going to be plenty to keep Carolina in the win column. You know, two of the first, here, here's another stat of, of the defense doing their job. Two of the first three games, Carolina had held their opponent under 20 points, matching what they did all of last year. Well, here's the thing. In terms of what the defense did, they held Pitt under 20, held Pitt to 17 points, but Pitt had 24 as a team because of that kickoff return touchdown. So you clean up that special teams, and this is three teams held under 20 points in the first four games. Now, 
here again, I know the defense wasn't in, in wreaking havoc in the backfield, but seven quarterback hurries, um, five tackles for loss, two sacks, both by Cayman Rucker, by the way, who had another great game, disruptive game. Um, and then you get it into the secondary, five pass breakups, two interceptions, both by Elijah Huzzy. We'll get to those later. And so, um, you know, it's funny. We we talked about one of the my other three keys to the win was be ready for Jerkovic or Veyu, um, the the other backup quarterback, because all of the pit folks were like, ah, oh, we can't, we we got to get rid of Jerkovic. Well, we found out quickly when Jerkovic unfortunately got hurt at the end of the first half. Why Phil Narduzzi is not uh, not Phil Pat Narduzzi, excuse me, was not bringing in Veyu. It it turned out to be because he's unfortunately not that good, but that takes credit away from Carolina. When you put it that way, the Tar Heel defense forced all sorts of issues for Pitt, particularly in the second half. So you had to be ready for both quarterbacks, but not because Drakovic was bad. Honestly, he was good and unfortunately got hurt. And then the other quarterback comes in, but Pitt's second half results. Here they go. You ready? Three and out interception, Lost fumble, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, interception. That's their entire, every drive of the second half. Obviously not counting the return kickoff touchdown there, but that tells me everything I need to know about the Carolina defense stepping up and doing what they need to do. I know those turnover on downs were game script, but that's not their problem. That's not Carolina's defense's problem. They're doing what they need to do. So the result, yes, Carolina's defense showed up, did exactly what they needed to do. The defense itself held Pitt under 20. That's good enough for me. And again, that's going to win most games when you got the Carolina offense doing what it's doing. Well, coming up next, my three stars of the game, including one who you probably would not guess I have on my list. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first, this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential wager hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why you want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's so easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs, and then you just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. After that, you just use simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on the candidates that have just the right skill set and the right experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire for your team. Because honestly, getting that right team member can have a positive and measurable impact on your business. This is why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires as compared to the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As we do every Friday this season here on the Locked On College Network, we have Locked On College Football kicking off live, coming at you Friday afternoon, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, live on every Locked On College YouTube page. Make sure you check it out. All right, here are our three stars of the game. Number one, I already mentioned his name, but good grief, Elijah Huzzy. What a revelation he has been for not only the Tar Heel secondary, but also the Tar Heel special teams had a massive punt return the first punt return for the Tar Heels all season long and then very next one 
is a punt return touchdown for Elijah Huzzy. Great stuff. You love to see. We'll talk more about that punt return touchdown in a second. But then he also had an interception, which, by the way, shouts to Bo Atkinson for some great pressure forced on Pitt. I mean, all up in. I can't remember which quarterback it was. Well, it had to have been Veyu at that point because it was in the second half. And so, and then Huzzy made a great catch running away from the play in the end zone. You love to see that. And then I uh, had another interception late. I think that was Pitt's final um, drive of the game. Just a phenomenal game. I, I posed on Twitter, like, when was the last time a Tar Heel had an interception or two interceptions, mind you, and a punt return touchdown in the same game? That can't be rare, if ever, to have happened. Here's the key for me with Elijah Huzzy. This is the first time in a good while where I feel like there's someone in the secondary who I just unquestionably trust. It's like, if you're throwing to Elijah Huzzy, I feel good. And by the way, I don't know why anyone would throw to Elijah Huzzy, and I doubt we will see less and less of that as the season goes on. Speaking of, really wild connection with Huzzy. It's from Dutchtown High School in the greater Atlanta, Georgia area. Dutchtown High School is like five minutes from my home, like my childhood home where I grew up in Stockbridge, Georgia. And so that's super cool. But then not only that, but Huzzy started at East Tennessee State, which is in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is right where I went to college at Milligan College, now Milligan University. Um, and so crazy stuff there, just these kind of connections with Elijah Huzzy. So great stuff. He is our star number one of the game. Star number two, J.J. Jones. Here's the thing. You had to figure a week after Nate McCollum's just like, again, what an explosion it was. He was going to see a lot more attention, a lot more coverage, uh, a lot more, you know, his name just vaulting up the opposing team scouting report. And although, by the way, McCollum still hauled in all five of his targets for 47 yards, like you'll take that. But J.J. Jones was the recipient of that on Saturday, had a career game, new career high in yards, had a career high in receptions, and his first career 100-plus yard receiving game. Big congrats to J.J. for that. He finished with six catches for 117 yards on eight targets, including that 52-yard bomb. A great, like he kind of had to lay out for it, went off for a play. It looked like he was going to be banged up. I was a little bit nervous because the receiving core is already thin with obviously Tez unable to play. Gavin Blackwell, as I mentioned earlier, was out for this game. But JJ came right back in and, and is doing it. So you got to start feeling really good right now about having that kind of starting three receivers of Nate McCollum, Kobe Pesor, and JJ Jones. And if they can do that mixed in with the tight ends, that three-headed tight end group, and then Hampton Brooks continuing to grow in the receiving game out of the backfield. And then it's like, man, anything you get from a guy like Andre Green, anything you get once Blackwell's back and healthy is, is icing on the cake. And so you love to see that. Congrats, congrats to J.J. Jones. And then the third star of the game. This is the one I mentioned that you probably wouldn't guess I have as one of our stars is Noah Burnett, and here's why. Noah Burnett lost his job this offseason to Co. right, and transferring in from Cincinnati. Co. is hurt, and Noah Burnett has the opportunity to come back in, and he is making the most of it. Because here's the thing. North Carolina needs a kicker that can step up and make kicks in key moments, right? Like miss the field goal against NC State in overtime last year. Carolina loses that game. Uh, Co. missed a 
key field goal was it against App State a couple weeks ago that he missed that. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember now. Can't for sure. So Noah Burnett comes in, gets a 43 yarder and a career long 48 yarder back to back field goals as Carolina is looking to just basically keep getting inch like insurance runs in baseball, right? Just keep extending the lead any way you can. And his ability to do that, especially in those types of moments is going to give coach Brown the trust in him to say, Hey, Drake, don't be a hero. Don't do anything. You don't have to do. Just get us into field goal position when we just need points and Noah could come in and do the job. And so I love that, you know, maybe he got frustrated losing his job, but he comes in, his name is called, and he does what he needs to do. Keep it up, Noah Burnett. You love to see that. So that's our three stars. We still have our three key plays, the shady stat of the game, and of course, our weekend whip around. We'll get to all of those in just a second. Now it's time for your game changer of the week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Elijah Huzzy's ridiculous performance on Saturday night, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. Man, I love the way Huzzy is just jumping in to Carolina and changing the game for this secondary. And so that's why we pick him, just like Athletic Brewing Company is changing that non-alcoholic beer game. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy them online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers, you can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's fantastic. That's code LOCKEDON at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions, and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right, let's hit our three plays of the game where we look at either a play or a group of plays that I thought was really important for either it it helped define the game or was just a really rad play. You can guess one of them coming up here in just a second. The first one is North Carolina's first offensive drive. We already talked about how it's like, oh, no, Pitt just at ease took eight minutes off the clock, went and scored seven. Phil Dracovic looks great. Hey, boy, is this the game where Pitt's all of a sudden figuring it out because desperate teams do desperate things? Pitt got rolling, 7-0. And then the first offensive play for Carolina looks like it's a Drake May fumble as, you know, he's kind of gobbled up in the pocket and thankfully overturned. It's ruled incomplete. And then Carolina ends up having a great response um, to Pitt's first physical, that physical first drive of the game. Carolina. Might have gotten a little bit bullied, but they said, we will not stop. We will not back down. Here comes Drake May in the Tar Heel offense. So this first drive for Carolina, aided by a couple penalties. I I loved the diversity of it. Remember last week, that first drive was all Nate McCollum, which is fine if nobody's covering him. But in this one, incomplete pass to Nate McCollum, incomplete pass to Kobe Pesor, Omarion Hampton rush, Drake May scramble. To John Copenhaver for 13 yards, JJ Jones for 18 yards, Kamari Morales for 13 yards, uh, a British Brooks rushing attempt, and then Hampton punches it in from the one. Who's going to stop that offense? And that's not even everybody, but that's a lot of these weapons, dude. And so, what I, I love two things about this: this first um, uh, North Carolina drive showcases North Carolina's offensive diversity, and it also showcases. Hey, we got punched in the mouth, but we're going to punch right back. 
because it let's say that Drake in in an alternate world that Drake May thing was a was a fumble. Pitt scores, goes up 14-0. You feel a whole lot different about this game. But instead, North Carolina reminds you how incredible Drake May is. And then then you just got to go win a football game. You're settled in. You're ready to go. I love it. So the first key play in our three plays, I thought, was North Carolina's first offensive drive. The second of our three plays today is Huzzy's punt return touchdown. It is the first trivia. You may not have seen it anywhere. See, if, if you don't already know, see if you can guess when the last North Carolina punt return touchdown was prior to this one. All right, I'm going to tell you. So hopefully you paused it if you didn't want to hear. It was Daz Newsom at Syracuse, 2018, a 75-yard punt return touchdown. Well, I love it because, as I mentioned, Pitt's previous drive to this one had ended with a punt. Huzzy returns it for 29 yards to midfield. Carolina's first punt return all season long. And um, then... Carolina goes and scores on that successive drive, ties the game at 14-all. So they're, they're getting, you know, just bouncing back, bouncing back, bouncing back with Pitt. And then literally Pitt's next possession ends with another punt. And again, they went to Huzzy for some reason after seeing what he just did. And then he takes it to the house. What a lift it gives North Carolina because of a special teams win and because it gives them the lead for the first time in this game, a lead that they will never surrender going forward. And so not only the play itself, but what it did in the course of this game. I mean, it is those kind of special teams moments that can really change the tenor of a game. And Elijah Huzzy not just doing it in the defensive backfield, but also in special teams. Just enjoy this young man while he's a Tar Heel, folks. That's what I'm saying. And then, of course, our third play of the game. I said it in the cold open. Drake Mays left-handed touchdown to Kobe Pesor. Now I'm a lefty, so I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't make too many jokes about like I couldn't do that left-handed, but I certainly couldn't do it right-handed. I throw terribly with my offhand. But here's the thing. That throw was the culmination of a drive that started off very inauspiciously. There was a penalty on the kickoff. It was right after a pit field goal. So Carolina started at their own nine. The first play was Drake getting sacked back to the two. And it's like, oh, man, I don't know about this. But then after that, a great it was just like a three yard pass to Omarion Hampton, who gets a great run up the right sideline for a first down. And then for some reason, the pit guy gets over him because it was a great hit by the pit um, tackler, whoever it was on the on the sideline. But then he gets up and, and taunts Hampton. And I get I got no problems with that. Like it's part of the game. But in this day and age, you're going to get flagged for that. And he did. Carolina's off and running. And so then after that, um, Nate McCollum had, I believe it was his longest catch of the game. And then we eventually get the play. It's like second and four after a six yard. I think it was British Brooks run right there. Drake is running to his left. So thankfully, you know, he's a smart savvy football player. So he's already switched the ball to his left hand. He's got a pit defender that's basically draped on the right side of his body. And then another pit defender coming up to him right as he gets to the left sideline. But here's what's important. Like, I think we would probably think, well, it's obvious Kobe's standing all alone in the end zone. In those moments, if you got somebody draped all over you, someone else coming at, at you, it is very difficult to keep your eyes upfield. If you've ever played football, you know how hard those moments are. But Drake, has his head on a swivel, sees Kobe, recognizes, I got one open hand. I'm about to get blasted right here, which he did, and just lofts it up. Kobe 
easiest catch, you know, he's probably ever had in his life. Touchdown, North Carolina. The lone passing touchdown for Drake on the night. Crazy stuff. And obviously, our third play of the game. Well, it's time for the shady stat of the game as I put my sunglasses on for those of you who aren't watching, which, by the way, we got a comment uh, last Monday after the, the shady stat of the game. Somebody said, and this makes me so happy, man, the shady stat of the game is so cheesy, but I love it and I'm here for it. And uh, that's me. I'm a dad. I'm full of cheese and uh, deal with it. So you might remember on Friday's show, I posed uh, the, the shady stat of the game to be watching for was the fact that Drake had 20 or more completions in each of the first three games of the season. He's the first Tar Heel quarterback to ever start a season doing that. Well, he extended that on Saturday, getting another game with 20 or more completions. So now he's done it four games in a row. We'll wait to see if he can do it against Syracuse two weeks from now. Very quickly, our weekend wrap-up had some big-time soccer matches. The men were hosting number 11, Duke. It's a game that got, or a match, excuse me, that got uh, rained out and postponed on Saturday, pushed back to Sunday, just ended right before I recorded this. Carolina went down 1-0 early, but got a, a goal from Andrew Check in the 16th minute. And then Quincy got one um, later on in the I think it was like the 32nd minute. And that was it. That was all the scoring. Carolina beats their arch-rival Blue Devils 2-1, knocks off the number 11 team in the country. On the women's side, epic battle. Number one, Carolina hosting number three, Florida State. And it went to a 3-3 draw. So we're just, I, I think that's like the seventh tie combined between the men and the women's soccer teams. But they both keep on rolling. You love to see it. Field hockey picked up two wins over the weekend. On Friday, 3-0 over number 13, Wake Forest. Sunday, 6-1 over App State. Volleyball split a pair this weekend. They beat Virginia 3-0 on Friday. Three sets to none on Friday, but then unfortunately fell to number eight pit three sets to nothing as well. Hope the volleyball team getting going, and uh, man, it's a tough matchup against a really, really good pit team. Man, it's great to get into a brand new week. I hope you've enjoyed being with us. That's it for today's episode. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Follow me at Isaac Shade. If, again, if you want to come be bigger part of this community, come join us on the Discord. The link to that is in the show notes, both on audio and video formats. If you'd like to send a more in-depth conversation, email us, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Maybe you have a question or an observation or something. Would love to get it onto the show as well. Don't forget to subscribe on audio and video format. Smash the like button. Friends, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. We'll be back with you on Tuesday, but until then, peace. Peace.